Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. This morning we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The word of God. Thank you, Lou. Appreciate that. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. Kind of reminds me of something that happened. I think I've shared it with you. Lori and I went out to eat, and uh, we got the check from the server, and we looked at it, and things weren't adding up. And I called the server over. Say, excuse me, I, I think you undercharged us. This, and she goes, "Oh no, I included your senior discount." <laughs> and so you you kind of know that you're getting a little older. Well, when people do things like carry the podium up for you and they they give you the senior discount, yeah, that's a good thing. Got a little feedback here. Okay, we got that. Hey, we are in our final week of our series called uh, The Idol Factory. And uh, just to summarize where we've been, we've talked about how our hearts, our hearts are predisposed towards manufacturing idols. And we've talked about a lot of the reasons why and how that happens. Uh, Today, we're going to talk very specifically about um, how we can prevent that. And that's a good thing. Uh, Today's a day in which um, there's going to be a call to action. Uh, The scripture is going to call us uh, to turn away from the old life, uh, to turn towards the new life, Christ, who is our life. Uh, And as we do that, to let go of 
counterfeit gods, God substitutes that we've placed in our heart or we've manufactured. Um, and as we've talked about, not all those things are bad things. That's what makes it so hard, isn't it? Because they're good things. They're good things that we have elevated to a place and given them priority um, that really belongs to the Lord. And that's when they become idols. And the fact that, that they are good things is what makes them so hard to let go of. They can be family. They can be uh, a marriage, a spouse. They can be an education, a career. Uh, they can be accomplishment. They can be a lot of different things um, that are good things. But when we give them an elevated status and we allow them um, to take the place that God intends to have in our heart, then they become idols. Um, one of the things that's really key, and we've gone over this each of the three weeks because it's very important, the place where we're most vulnerable, I think, is when we are confused about our identity. In fact, you, you might recall in, in some of the passages we've looked at, um, Jesus, when he was tempted uh, in the wilderness, uh, we, we looked at that passage. Uh, in particular, the enemy attacked him around issues of what? Identity. Because if he would be confused about who he was, whose he was, and what his purpose was, then the enemy knew that he had him. Okay, Could stop him before he got started. And the same is true with us. When we are confused about who we are, about whose we are, and about what our purpose is. That's when we're most susceptible and vulnerable um, to creating and manufacturing God replacement, counterfeit gods, idols uh, in our heart, in our life. Um, when I was small, um, my father went to prison. And I grew up in a single-parent um, family household. And because my father was not a part of my life, I never knew much about the McCarrow part of my last name. Uh, didn't have really any contact with my grandparents. Didn't have really any sense of identity surrounding my last name. And, and that's not that important when you're, when you're little. But as you get older, um, people start talking about their family of origin, their last name, what nationality it is, and they associate family story and narrative with it. And as you hear that, that's very formative, isn't it? You begin to identify with that and all that that entails. Well, uh, all I knew uh, about my father were bad things. Uh, and I really had nothing else to attach to that last name. In fact, at one point, I remember uh, my stepfather. My mother married uh, after my father left. Uh, my stepfather wanted to adopt me, and he wanted me to take his last name. And, I, you know, I don't know what it was, uh, maybe it was I wasn't very fond of him. <laughs> I probably had something to do with it. 
But I remember saying, no, um, I already have a last name. And then he, you know, he really wanted me to take his last name. And, and so he began to say, what do you want to have the name McCarrow for? There's nothing good about that name. In fact, you'll probably grow up, and because of who your father was and the things that he did, um, that will be a hindrance for you. Here's an opportunity to get rid of that, not have to carry that. The reputation, all that's... Um, all that goes along with it, the baggage, you can get rid of that now and you won't have to carry that into your life. And I remember very distinctly saying, you know, no. It really doesn't matter to me what my father did to dishonor my name. I'm not my father. And I can bring honor to that name. I can do good things in life. I can be a different person. I don't have to identify with who he was and what he did. And I remember just really firmly saying, absolutely not. My, my last name is McCarrow, and I'm going to keep that name. And I did, okay? But as I grew up, I, I didn't know much about it. I really didn't know much about it uh, until I was probably in my um, 30s and we were living in Sacramento and we got a phone call and there was a man who called. He was traveling through Sacramento and he had a habit of looking through the phone book and whenever he saw a Macaro, he would call them because he was doing this, um, this book about the Macaro family and uh, all the different Macaros and where they came from and their origin and all those kinds of things. So it turns out, I didn't know this, but this man was my second cousin, quite a bit older. He would have been my, my father's first cousin. Uh, and he remembered meeting my father once when they were younger, but he didn't know about what had happened to my father. He didn't know about my grandfather. And so he was trying to fill in the pieces of that part of the Macaro family, Okay. And uh, he said, I'll tell you what, you send me what you know, and I'll give you everything that I know. And so he sent me um, this document that he'd been working on that traced the McCarrows all the way back to 1827, coming from Italy to Louisiana. And the patriarch's name was Dominic, and he had four sons. Two of them died, two of them lived, and the, the two sons moved to Texas, and they got in business together. And then one of them left Dallas and went to uh, El Paso, and those two brothers, well, the one that went to El Paso, that's where my line in the McCarroll family comes from. But the cool part about that was I began to be able to fill in the blanks. I began to, to, to hear about, well, this is, this is my name. This is part of my heritage. It's much larger, much bigger uh, than my father's story, much grander than that. There's a, there's a lot of things that I can connect to, that I can begin to appreciate, uh, that I can say, yes, this is a good name. Uh, and what somebody did doesn't have to define who I am or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to live my life. Okay? Identity. It's huge. Uh, and I can say that there was this kind of like this big, this big kind of black hole that got filled in. 
And it was really, really important to me. And I think as I get older, it even becomes more important to me. So what does that have to do with this? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the oldest passing away, right? All things become new. The passage we just read in uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 7, talks about our life. Christ is our life. And we have a new identity. We have a story that's God's story. And we have been united with Christ and we become a part of the fellowship, that eternal, holy fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-eternal, co-equal, co-powerful, right? Three distinct persons, but one, yet one. That's the Trinity, that's the mystery. But we, through our union with Christ, are united with the fellowship of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It isn't something we can do on our own. Um, Unity with Christ is something that we're given. And last week, you might recall, I talked about how we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that that is a, a guarantee. God saying, you belong to me. And I will preserve you. I will keep you. And everything I've promised you will be yours. You are co-heirs with my son to the riches of glory. Wow. That is identity. That's understanding who we are. That's understanding whose we are. And because we understand who we are and whose we are, It gives us a a renewed sense of purpose and priority and meaning in life. It's important to know those things. It's important to have a sense of, of, of your heritage, of your family. It's key to your identity. But when we lose that, then we begin to fill in the blanks. We begin to maybe create things that that maybe aren't a part of really who we are. And as Christians, if we don't know who we are in Christ, if we're not certain about our identity, if we don't know really what Christ has done and what that means to us, then we are especially susceptible to manufacturing idols, God counterfeits, God replacements. We substitute the heritage that we have in Christ with a new story connected to things that pretend to give us life, that pretend to tell us who we are, but really lead us astray, that distance us from God, distance us from Christ. And so today, what I want to talk about, what the scripture talks about, we'll look in our passage, 
our idol replacement. Idol replacement. It is taking the idols that have been created in our heart and our lives. And again, some of those are good things. We've elevated them to a place they don't belong. To where they become counterfeit gods, they take Christ's rightful place in the throne of our heart and our life. We need to replace those things. We need to remove them, right? But it's not enough to remove them because if we just remove them and we don't replace them with something else, then what happens? We'll just fill that void with another idol, right? So we need to remove, to replace that. And I think as we read our scripture today, it become clearer and clearer. Um, because scripture um, not only helps identify what, what our issue is, but it gives us really the prescription or the solution for it. I want to begin with a quote from Tim Keller today. It says, What is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your real, functional salvation and Savior? Now think about that for a moment. What are you looking to in order to justify yourself? Whatever it is, it's a counterfeit God. And to make a change in your life, you must identify it and reject it as such. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination and more attractive to your heart than your idol. Okay? So what does that mean? He's saying, you need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to identify those things that we attempt to justify ourselves with. Those things that if we're really honest, functionally serve as our salvation and as our Savior. And the thing that makes it difficult, I have already alluded to, is that many of those things are good things. That's what makes it so hard to replace them. And if we don't replace them with something better, then we'll replace them with something else that's less than what God intends. Our scripture today, as you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, if you were here last week, you might recall that I read verses 5 through 7. I made a reference to it in my sermon. And 5 through 7 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7 says, You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Okay? Your identity. Our identity, he's saying. Um, How we live was tied up in those things. But that's the way we used to live. When he says in verse 7, Excuse me, when he says in verse 5, 
put to death. Put to death. He's literally saying we should have no more desire for these old things, for the old way of living, than a dead person would for those things. That's what he's really saying. Now the challenge is, okay, I hear that, but what do I do about it? Well, this is kind of like going to the movie. You know how sometimes a movie will start with the ending, then it will go to the beginning? That's what this is. Uh, I read to you the ending, but now I want to go back to the beginning. The, the, the key word here in verse 5 is put to death, therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you want to know what therefore is therefore. So it's really verses 1 through 4 that are the how. How do we do that? Okay, He really starts by saying this is how you do it, so do it. So let's go to verse 1, chapter 3. Let's look at the how. He says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. All right? We have died with Christ, and we have been raised with Christ. We have been co-resurrected with Christ. We are dead to sin, And we've been made alive to God in Jesus Christ. Now, that's an important part of our identity, isn't it? This is who we were, but this is who you are now. And the key here is not to identify with who you were, but identify with who you are now. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. See that? Set your heart. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's referring to Christ's preeminence. Okay? The right hand. The place of honor. Christ is preeminent. Set your heart where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. So what he's saying is, we we set our hearts where Christ is seated, the right hand of God, we set our minds um, on things above, not earthly things. Literally, what we're getting a picture of is, is living into the whole story. Living into the truth about who you are and what that means. And as you do that, your heart and your mind recalibrate. And now your priorities become God's priorities. Your way of life becomes consistent and is aligned with what God desires for you, your purpose in the world as this new creation whose life is Christ. And suddenly, 
we begin to focus on and look at things, not that are temporal, but things that are eternal. Because things that are eternal far outweigh, right? The earthly things. In other words, as followers of Christ, we can literally say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the way we're able to remove good things that have been elevated to that place of worship in our heart and our life that have usurped God is by looking at something that's even better. And that something is someone, and that's Christ Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. And so our minds are set on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's not that it's hidden like, you know, it's like hiding from you. What it means is, is that your life is now protected. It's secure. It's it's waiting for the fulfillment, for the, for the glory of God to be fully manifested and revealed in you at that time when Christ returns. That's your heritage. That's your destiny. That's who you are. That's whose you are. And your purpose in life is to live into fully, to focus, and to be moving towards all that God has for you. And it is secure in Christ. And it's yours and it's mine to be revealed in that day when Christ returns. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Then, it says, put to death, therefore. You see that? So I've set my heart. I've set my heart. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I've set my mind on heavenly things. Things above, not on earthly things. And when I do that, I recognize that there is something and someone much greater than even the good things that I'm tempted to elevate above him. Do you see that? Christ is preeminent. Christ is superior. Christ is better than, and all that he has promised is better than anything that life on this earth has to offer apart from him. And so, really, we're replacing the idols with Christ himself. And we're giving him that place. But here's the temptation. All right, I want to replace the idols with Christ himself. Okay. Well, remember that, that, that first sin in the garden? The devil said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be what? Like God. And so what we're tempted to do, if we're not careful, is to create even a counterfeit Christ. 
that more closely approximates our desires, our nature, right? Than his. There's the therapeutic Jesus. Um, the, ther- the therapeutic Jesus is a Jesus that gives us all the answers, right, to our problems in life. Uh, he's kind of like a, a cosmic Dr. Phil, right? We go to him for, for, to solve our problems, and yet a therapeutic Jesus is a disappointing deity preaching a moralistic and therapeutic approach to life, but that doesn't save. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Then there's the legalist Jesus. And... Uh, that's a Jesus that just offers a simple list of rules to live by, allowing us to ignore the daily practice of repentance and forgiveness and the Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives. Instead, we settle for checklist Christianity. And there's the Jesus, there's the genie in the Bible, Jesus. The Jesus exists to fulfill my every desire. Your wish, says the genie Jesus, is my command. The Santa Claus Jesus. Oh, yes. I love that Jesus. Then there's the... uh, the candidate or the political Jesus. The Jesus whose values and priorities align with that of my preferred political party. It's the, the Jesus who, uh, who prefers a donkey over an elephant or an elephant over a donkey. There, there's a Jesus who... Uh, aligns with my political perspectives. That's the political Jesus. And finally, there's a, the BFF Jesus, best friend forever Jesus. That's the Jesus that fits well into our culture of narcissism. He approves of me without reservation, my lifestyle, my behaviors. They're safe with my very best friend. And with the very best friend, or the very best friend forever, Jesus, I begin to lose the awe of God, reverence for God, and most importantly, the fear of God. Because he's just my very best friend. He's my bestie. What I want to do is remind us of the Jesus that we're called to replace our idols with, the biblical Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, not not the Jesus that we create, not the Jesus that looks like us or has our priorities in life, but the Jesus who died on the cross and rose again to give us new life, forgiveness of sin. The Jesus who is our life. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn means he has preeminence. Because we know that he wasn't firstborn in the sense that he's God. He always has been. But he has preeminence, supremacy over all creation. Why? For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Including our lives. You've heard me quote Abraham Kuyper before. I love this quote. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Belongs to him. Our lives are not our own. Our life is Christ. Our life is in Christ. And he claims this for himself. And when we think of our purpose, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Now God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Not your plan, not my plan, his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then finally, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's an old Scottish proverb that says it's, It's better to bend the knee than to have God bow it for you. Right? And so as we think about this preeminent Christ, this Christ who is our life, this Christ who is our identity, as we think about that, we come to a place of repentance. Forgive me, Lord. Oh, Lord. Forgive me for creating a Christ that looks like you, but really looks like me. That has my priorities rather than your priorities. That that has my purposes rather than your purposes. The one who serves me the one who elevates me. That counterfeit God, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me of even taking the good things you've given me and and elevating them to, to a place of deity in my life where I worship it 
rather than you, the creator. I desire to turn from that. I desire to allow you to have your rightful place. The place that all history, all humanity is headed for. For the fulfillment of your purpose in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But it's not enough to repent. It's not enough to say, Lord, I desire to remove those things because if that's all we do, then as I said earlier, we'll replace them with something else. Repentance is the first step, but the second step is rejoicing. Rejoicing focuses in on who he is, what he has done, what that means for us. Rejoicing reminds us that he is the sovereign that he is supreme over all creation, that he is more valuable, more important than anything that I grasp onto that's fleeting and temporary on this earth. And I rejoice and I rejoice and I rejoice again and again and again. And in that rejoicing, my focus is on him, who he is and what he's done, what that means. Repentance. Rejoicing. They go hand in hand. And so this morning as we come to this time of communion, I, I want to take us all the way back to 1500. The Heidelberg Catechism. The first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only hope, Really? in this world and the next. Let's read this together. That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Amen. It was on the night that he gathered his disciples the night before he was to go to the cross for you, for me. That he shared a meal. And he took simple elements things from everyday life that he would use to remind them of us, of who we are, of whose we are, and what our purpose in life really is. He took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
As often as you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Don't forget. Then he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Whenever you drink from this cup, drink in remembrance of me. So that whenever we drink from the cup, we eat the bread, we declare Christ's sacrifice for us until he comes again. And Christ is coming again. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again. This morning, as you come to the table, anyone who is seeking Christ, anyone who says, Jesus, I recognize that that you are my life. You died on the cross for me that I have forgiveness of sin and I have new life and eternal life and I can say the best is yet to come. This morning as you come to the table, I pray and I ask that you would come asking, what is it in my heart and my life that, that, that needs to be replaced with the true sovereign, the true Savior, the one who gave his life for me. Who is it? What is it? Maybe there's more than one thing. And by the power of his spirit at work within you, come to this table and allow Christ to be your king. Allow the sovereign to sit on the throne of your heart and your life. That's his invitation today. To you and to me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we come to the end of this series called The Idol Factory, Lord, our desire is to take an honest look in our heart and our lives and then to come forward and say, Lord, create in me, create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Let that begin, Lord, by by renouncing, by setting aside, by replacing those things that we've elevated to the status of God in our life. A counterfeit God. A shallow, shallow life that's rooted in something that is so temporal that will not last. Lord, this morning as we come forward, we We want to turn from those things. We want to repent. But Lord, we want to do more than that. We want to come rejoicing as you take their place in our heart and our life. Lord, this morning we come to you declaring and proclaiming 
that you are our God, that you are our King, that we are secure in you, that we have a new identity. We know who we are. We know whose we are. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can live fully into all that you've purposed for us. Now, Lord, we come repenting and rejoicing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come as you're ready.